Hello and welcome to Meldon Law and Friends, a weekly podcast brought to you by Meldon Law, a statewide law firm with its primary office in Gainesville and also with offices in South Florida covering the entire tri-county area from Broward to Palm Beach County down to Miami-Dade County and also in Marion County where we've been for 26 years in the city of Ocala. Today is Friday, February 5th. Jeffrey, it's hard to believe we're already of six weeks, five weeks into 2021. Yes, uh, things are moving along and uh, it seems like Gator Athletics are uh, popping. It it really is. Uh, This is, of course, a huge weekend. It's the Super Bowl weekend. We've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. Uh, We had our good friend Alex Marvez on about a week ago. I I heard him earlier in the week on Tuesday on the Shane Matthews podcast, and he's really pumped up about that. So what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Well, I'm going to be rooting for Tampa Bay, as I know you will be and uh, a lot of us uh, Gators will be. But uh, it's unpredictable. Uh, you know, the Alex seems to think the, there's some weakness on the offensive <laughs> line of uh, Kansas City that may affect, uh, you know, uh, the performance of the team. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, uh, as far as great quarterbacks, You've got the greatest new quarterback against the greatest old quarterback. Yeah, it's uh, that's quite quite a matchup to say the very least. Well, I, I'm like you. I still think Tampa Bay has a good shot to pull it off. Uh, Alex seemed to be leaning toward Kansas City. He thinks they might just put up too many points on the on the board, but we'll have to see what happens. But speaking of athletics, before we introduce our great first guest, I want to talk a little bit about. It's well known, of course. We are the official sponsor of a law firm sponsor of University of Florida Actually, Athletics. Actually, Chris, we're the only official law firm partner of the only. Florida Gators. Right. I, I will get that right. Only official <laughs> law firm partner of the Florida Gators. And to that end, uh, tomorrow night, we, of course, have a huge promotion going on with the volleyball game, but we're extending it a second night, correct, to uh, yes. Sunday night. There's, uh, because of COVID, uh, they're doing back-to-back matches so Missouri's coming here for Saturday and Sunday rather than doing one home and one away. So with that in mind, we have four more tickets that we're giving away. We've already given away four tickets to the Saturday event on the 6th, but we've got four more that Meldon Law is going to make available. You just simply have to go to our website, the MeldonLaw.com website. Couldn't be easier. Just click the link at the very top. And you can win the four tickets plus a dinner certificate, right? Yeah, you go to the top of the homepage for at MeldonLaw.com. And uh, women's volleyball is going to be so exciting this uh, winter. And, uh, you know, the team is great. Uh, the, some of these uh, players are uh, all American uh, quality uh, caliber players. And so I'm really excited mm-hmm. about going to uh, the match. And I think it's going to be really fun. So, Everybody listening to the podcast, go out and uh, check out the Lady Gators volleyball team Saturday and Sunday. And speak, we, we have a guest on who, who knows a little bit about the volleyball team. He knows a lot more, though, about uh, he knows a lot about basketball because he is a an ESPN basketball analyst for many, many years. He was the voice of the Florida Gators, uh, the basketball team. Mark Wise, welcome to the show, Mark. Guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, we're kind of in the heat of uh, basketball season. And for the first time ever, volleyball in the spring and basketball are being played at the same time. So things are a little goofy in our house. I, I Especially because we, of course, had your wife on a couple of weeks ago, the legendary coach of the Florida Gator volleyball team, Mary Wise. So it's it's got to be a little bit different, to say the least, with COVID and everything. It really is different, and I'll give you an example on Saturday night, so tomorrow night. um, My game that I have is Texas A&M at Arkansas, and that game's at 6 o'clock on the SEC Network. And if you don't get enough of the Wises, the volleyball match at 8 is also on the SEC Network. So we've got four straight hours of the Wises on Saturday night. (laughs) (laughs) So we should come up with a name, you know, Saturday night with the Wises. (laughs) Well, to say the least, uh, you've had uh, an illustrious career in broadcasting, and uh, now you're working, as I understand, full-time with ESPN as an analyst. 
what was that like, the transition? You, you of course, were with the Voice of the Gators for so long, but now you're right. working uh, with ESPN. What's that been like? Well, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to when I started in broadcasting. Uh, I worked really early with Paul Kennedy. And Paul Kennedy had some great advice. He gave me two great pieces of advice. One was, just remember that it's uh, you, me, and a guy on his couch watching at home. And keep that in mind. The other thing he always said is, if you can do radio, you can do anything. Because actually, radio in basketball is more difficult uh, than, than doing it on television. I say that even though in television, we have many more bells and whistles. And in the COVID era, yeah, you can see a little bit of my home kit studio. So I'm doing the majority of games for, from here in the office. So there are a lot of more uh, bells and whistles that you deal with, but the rhythm, the timing uh, of getting in and out on a radio broadcast is, is more difficult because you have to allow the play-by-play -play guy to paint the picture. Whereas in television, I can talk over the picture because you can see what's going on. Uh, I, I was extremely fortunate. Uh, Mick Hubert and I worked together full-time for 20 years. Uh, the last couple of years have, have only been a handful of games. So, you know, when you're fortunate enough to work with somebody uh, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, then you can certainly learn a lot of things. Well, I see that you, of course, much like your wife, you have a long history in coaching as well. Uh, before you got into broadcasting, my understanding is you coached at Charlotte, Purdue, USF. How did that prepare you for a career in broadcasting? Well, I'll give you a great example. Um, and, and the game that I just had on Wednesday night, Texas A&M at Vanderbilt, two teams toward the bottom of the league. One of the things that you learn in coaching that translate, or at least I try, try to translate it to broadcasting, in coaching you learn that every game, and I don't think this is any different if I were to ask Jeffrey, every trial only happens one time. That's the only time that particular trial, that particular game will be played. So as a coach, you learn with that kind of paradigm that you better be all in. You better be invested from the opening tip or the opening statement all the way to the jury's verdict or the final buzzer. So even though uh, Texas A&M and Vanderbilt won't be a sexy matchup, I'm going to treat it just like I was doing Kentucky, Florida over the number of years. So it's that kind of thing that you learn about from coaching that I hope I've translated into broadcasting. Well, I saw Vanderbilt play uh, the Gators, of course, uh, not long ago, and uh, right. the Gators almost blew. What was it? A 20 point lead and uh, Vanderbilt had it down to four. So they're no slouch. I, I think the, the message is that really almost any team in the SEC on a given day can give somebody a run. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I would agree with that. This is a, you know, Alabama's made a lot of uh, headlines this year, and rightfully so, with the way that they've started. And I've had them a couple of times, and I have them a couple of more times. Uh, Missouri has surprised some people because they're older. Uh, one of the things that we've learned, and and I'm going to give you a more long-winded answer here, but that's fine. <laughs> COVID basketball has kind of redefined how we talk about basketball because we've never talked about shutdowns or pauses or pop, what I'm calling pop-up games where in the non-conference you might be out, this game got canceled, but you're going to pick up a game 24 hours or 48 hours from now. So it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. So in this COVID environment, uh, I think it's been, and no coaching manual, no coaching book, no broadcasting book was written with a pandemic in mind. So everybody is doing it, um, I don't want to say on the fly, but um, there's, there's no precedent. There's no guideline. So if you had told me a year from now or a year ago that I would be doing games from, you know, right here, I mean, there's my monitor, my camera, uh, the lights and whatnot. So um, it, it's been a really strange season. And yet, when you talk about the Southeastern Conference, I, I think they've had a a marvelous um, collection of people to help us all get to the place that we're at right now, leading toward Mar March Madness. And it will be really fun 
in another month, hopefully, knock on a lot of wood, that we're talking about March Madness because we didn't get to do that last year. Mark, I wanted to ask you your perspectives on uh, the Florida Gator basketball uh, team in this season. I mean, you know, losing Keontae Johnson, a lot of us right. thought, oh, well, season's over. And then all yeah. of a sudden, boom, they knock off two teams, uh, you know, in the top 11 in the country. Uh, I, I've said it this way. I think there are two great stories in college basketball this year. One is Florida having to deal with the traumatic experience of Keontae Johnson, the fact that Keontae Johnson is sitting on the on the bench, that he's at games. Uh, that's been a fabulous story. And, and so certainly the basketball world came together in prayer for him. The other is Andrew Jones at Texas, who overcame leukemia a couple of years ago and is now leading them in scoring. They're in the top five in the country. So Keontae Johnson and uh, Andrew Jones, in my view, transcend what goes on in the sport. Those two stories are so much more important than anything that I could talk about in terms of basketball. Now, now that we get to basketball, uh, I, I'm working on a, uh, because we're at the midway point of the basketball season in the Southeastern Conference, I'm working on some mid-season awards, player of the year, coach of the year, uh, freshman of the year, sixth man of the year. I think I'm I'm debating right now between Nate Oates from Alabama and Mike White for Florida for Coach of the Year. With it's really something. Florida, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you, you, when you mentioned Mike White, I mean, of course, we hear the the buzz among fans. People grumble. We had those first couple of games in the year. Right. Uh, they didn't do so well. We heard the same thing last year, but. To me, you know, as a layperson who just enjoys going to the games, it looks like Mike Mike White is doing a pretty amazing job. What do you say to those naysayers? Well, here's what I've always said, because most the most common complaint I hear is that it's just not fun. They're not fun to watch. Well, let me tell you what's fun. Fun is going to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> yeah, fun is winning a game in the NCAA tournament. And until those things start don't happen anymore, the conversation is ludicrous. So let's go back to this particular year. So you plan all summer that you're going to have an identity and you're going to work through your best player, as every coach does. And that would be Keontae Johnson, the preseason player of the year in the SEC in terms of the preseason pick. And then you lose him. And not only do you lose him from a – you don't lose him as an injury. You, you lose him in this traumatic way that – your entire program shuts down for two weeks. You don't, they don't pick up a ball. They don't practice. I'm sure some guys got shots in and whatnot occasionally, but, but they did nothing organized for two weeks. So they, you have this identity and then you completely shut down and then you start working on a new identity um, to be where they are right now has just been a tremendous coaching job by that entire staff. So they're, the, the two things that, from a basketball perspective, that I, I uh, didn't know how Florida was going to address was up the middle. So we talk in baseball, if you, if you want to be good in baseball, you have to be good up the middle. Pitcher, catcher, second, shortstop, center fielder. Same thing is true in basketball. You better be good at the point and the five-man in some way, shape, or form. And Florida had to replace both. Nemhard leaves for Gonzaga. Uh, Blackshear uh, graduates, and were, those were two big question marks. Trey Mann, the combination of Trey Mann and Appleby have been fabulous at the point, and there may not be a bigger surprise in the league than what uh, Colin Castleton has oh, given yeah. Florida as the five men. So, so we've got to talk take about those things. I mean, it's been a marvelous job. We got to take a break, Mark. Uh, so much information. Uh, we so much appreciate you being a guest. We're going to be right back for one more segment with you. We're going to talk more about the Gators, talk a little bit more about some of the other teams in the state as well. You are watching Meldon Law and Friends, a service of Meldon Law. Take a look at our website, www.meldonlaw.com, or call us anytime, toll-free, 1-800-373-8000. My name's Chris Qualman with Jeffrey Meldon, president and founder of the firm. We'll be right back. I was riding as a passenger in my friend's vehicle. A fellow ran a stop sign, and we T-boned him. Had neck and shoulder and knee injuries, and 
didn't know what to do, and I remember seeing one of Jeffrey's ads. So I gave him a call. He explained everything to me. I'd go see him, and everything was done. Everything was taken care of. Don't waste your time with anybody else. Go see Jeffrey. I was in a truck accident. Because of the accident, I've resulted in three back surgeries. We saw advertisements on TV, and guess who popped up more often than that? It was Jeffrey. The communication that he provided was so appreciative that he shows his compassion as a human. He assisted us in achieving one of our dreams, the acquisition of a home, and we're here today with smiles on our face with the assistance from Jeffrey. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends, the service of Melden Law, a statewide law firm with its primary office in Gainesville and also with offices in South Florida covering the entire Tri-County area, Miami-Dade through Broward, through Palm Beach County, and also with an office 26 years in Marion County, Florida. Our primary practice areas are personal injury cases, auto crashes, big truck crashes, slip and fall, pedestrian crashes, so many other different things, and we also handle criminal defense cases. Give us a call anytime, 24-7. Jeffrey will steer you in the right direction, no matter what your case is. But I want to get right back to our guest, uh, Mark Wise, longtime basketball analyst, now full-time with the ESPN Network. Mark, let's talk about the, the NCAA tournament, which obviously is going to be, I would imagine, very different. Maybe explain it for the benefit of our viewers and those who listen on audio platforms what will the tournament be like this year? Well, Chris, the biggest change is going to be that the entire tournament is going to be held in Indianapolis. And, it, it, you know, we're only a little more than five weeks, five Sundays away from Selection Sunday. And in years past, the Selection Sunday obviously happens on a Sunday. And then the first four happens on Tuesday and Wednesday in Dayton, Ohio. So those first four games will not be Tuesday, Wednesday. The tournament will not actually start until Friday. And all those, all of those games will be on Friday. And then the, what we traditionally call the first round uh, will start on Saturday. So the, that first weekend that usually went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday will now, will now go Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And then they'll work from there to get the uh, – three weeks in to get to the final four, but the entire tournament will be held in Indianapolis. And that's the biggest change with a little tweaking in terms of the dates. Where, where are they holding it in Indianapolis? Well, they're going to use, they're going to utilize, uh, obviously the final four will, will be in Lucas oil, uh, the, the football stadium, but um, they're going to play some games at Hinkle Fieldhouse where Butler plays uh, they're going to play some games actually at Indiana in Bloomington. They're going to play some games at Purdue and West Lafayette oh, wow. in terms of that first weekend so that they can spread people out. So um, uh, they've taken precautions in terms of you before you arrive in Indianapolis, if you're going to be in the tournament, before you arrive, you have to have seven consecutive days of negative testing. Wow. And then from there, the NCAA will take over with your testing. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of protocol, a lot of change in wow. place that teams are going to have to adjust to. And once you go to Indianapolis, you know, in years past, if you won the first couple of games in the first weekend, you'd probably come home for two days and then go to your next site. Well, that will not be the case. As long as you keep winning, you'll stay in Indianapolis. Mark, if the Gators uh, were to start the tournament now, do you have any guesses where they would be seated as of the, you know, uh, where they're uh, currently ranked? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, and I'm going to answer it this way, it's hard to gauge right now because Florida's back end of their schedule, starting with the LSU game uh, on the road tomorrow night. Five of their last eight, uh, I believe, are on the road. And so, you know, that's a tall ask for anybody. And the road games that they have, and I won't get this exactly right, but I know they've got to go to LSU. They've got to go to Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky. I'm leaving somebody out. Um, so I think right now uh, on the latest Lenardi projections that come out every Tuesday and Friday, they're a six seed. Uh, you win a couple of those games and improve your resume. Florida's probably ceiling, I would guess right now, somewhere between five and eight. 
So um, let's talk a little bit about the other Florida teams because we, we have viewers and listeners statewide, particularly in South Florida. I know FSU's got a great program, but let's talk about your University of Miami, UM, the Hurricanes. How are they doing? Well, they just had a, this week, earlier this week, they had a great win over Duke. Now, this is not a vintage Duke team, but Miami has had so many injuries this year. It's just kind of hard to get a gauge on where they, I think they were two and nine in late play entering the Duke game. So it's been a struggle for Coach L this year in Miami. But FSU, obviously, they've had a lot of success in recent years. What are your thoughts about them this year moving forward into the tournament? Long, long, and long. When you play <laughs> FSU, uh, they bring such length, it's hard to score on them. They too, they've just entered a pause, I think. I think they're still on pause. Uh, so they're going to miss some games. Um, I think through next week, middle of next week, something like that. They've got a lottery pick in Scotty Barnes. Uh, so they've got big-time talent. I'm not sure they shoot it quite as well as they have maybe in a couple of years past, but uh, they're always a difficult out because of their length and the way they defend. And I have to ask about UCF. <laughs> My kids live in Orlando, and uh, they've you know a couple of years ago they had a great team. Uh, Johnny Dawkins seems to be doing an excellent job with them. What do you see about UCF going forward? Well, that's another team that you know you when you. When you're at a place like UCF, and this will probably get easier with the transfer portal, and I, I don't even want to get into that because that's a mess. But uh, you'll be able to replenish your roster in a different way quicker. But when you take a look at that team that they had a couple of years ago that went to the NCAA tournament, won a game, and actually could have won against Oh, my Duke gosh. Yeah, they the, were so the close. To that Duke. just didn't go in. But, you know, Taco Fall, uh, B.J. Taylor, um, those, those were four-year guys. They were hardened by, their, by getting better each year. So exactly. you don't replace guys like that. And, and trust me, you definitely don't replace a Taco Fall uh, at seven foot six who just kind of messed up everything in the paint. So, you know, UCF has struggled in the league this year. USF has been on a big-time pause um, because of COVID product protocols that they're still in. I think they're missing their sixth game uh, this week. So um, two teams that have, you know, kind of uh, middle of the road in the American in, in terms of that conference. Hey, Mark, I got a question. Uh, if you're recruiting for the Florida Gator basketball team, what's your pitch, you know, versus, you know, what uh, Calipari's telling people about coming to Kentucky? <laughs> Well, first of all, you would never catch me recruiting anymore. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get that straight. I'm not going down that path anymore. Um, you know, I think in terms of what Florida has to offer, I, I, I think they, they offer a, a program where you're going to get better. I think they offer a, a well-rounded program. I think that the strength and conditioning, um, what, what they offer – you know, I, I, I want to say outside the court is so unique. And I say it this way. The strength and conditioning coach has been here 12, 15 years. The trainer has been here 12, 15 years. So they have consistency. And those are two hugely important components of any program. So I think it's, it's more like the, the well-roundedness of the athletic program, the well-roundedness of the basketball program, and then you're going to play in one of the five best conferences in the country. And let me, I'll also say this, Mike White's not afraid to schedule anybody. I, I love what they are doing in the non-conference. Now it, it got messed up this year because of COVID, but you just saw Oklahoma and what they've done in the last couple of weeks. Well, Florida was supposed to go to Oklahoma. You've seen UConn and what they're doing in their first year back in the big East. UConn was supposed to come to Florida this year. So West Virginia game. West yeah. Virginia game. So again, uh, they're, they're not afraid to play anybody. And I love that. So um, let me ask you this. And I, I, I pose this question to other people in the media that we've had on our show. What would you say to a young person perhaps who's contemplating a career in sports broadcasting, uh, maybe a student at UF and their great broadcasting programmer right. or anywhere. I've got a son who's working a little bit for overtime media. What would you say about the future and what advice would you give to somebody? Reps. Get in the reps. Don't be afraid 
to do the game that nobody else wants to do. If somebody wants you to call a middle school um, softball game on Facebook, go do it. Do as many reps as often as you can do. Now, I will tell you this, since I coached for 13 years, all the coaches that I work with now who knew me back then have often told me you have gone over to the dark side of the media. <laughs> so, so that's one thing you also need to keep in mind. Sure. Well, that, that's great advice. And certainly, though, the business has changed, to say the least. There's so many more opportunities. We've had people from print media, Pat Dooley, Robbie Andrew, Alex Marvez, and others who've had to transition. Um, I imagine you see the same thing. While there's still this traditional broadcasting there's many other avenues and, and media that didn't exist in the past. Well, just in, in terms of ESPN Plus and that platform alone, uh, I, can, I can, you know, on any given night, I can bring up 50 basketball <laughs> high point at Radford, but somebody's broadcasting that game. It might be the women's game, uh, um, uh, Cal State Bakersfield at Fullerton, but somebody's got to broadcast those games. So look for any opportunity you can find. Okay. So today is, of course, Friday the 5th, uh, another big sports weekend, of course, the Super Bowl. But where, where can people see you over the next week in terms of your broadcasting schedule? Uh, wow, you're going to press my memory now. Uh, <laughs> Saturday, I have uh, Arkansas will play Texas A&M in Fayetteville. I'll be doing the game from right there. Uh, my play-by-play -play guy on that game is in Atlanta. And then on every Wednesday, I'm on, that's on the SEC Network. And every Wednesday, um, uh, I'm on the SEC Network. And next, when, and I have a different partner, and he's in South Carolina and that is Texas A&M, I think, is at Mississippi State next Wednesday. So, Mark, what's your call on the Super Bowl? My call, here's, you know what, we, I actually wore, uh, uh, sat, last Saturday I did TCU Missouri in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and the play-by-play -play guy was a Big 12 guy who lives in Kansas City. So in the second <laughs> half, he put on his a Chiefs jersey. I had gone and bought a Gronk jersey. Um, and I said on the air, I am a huge, I mean huge Patrick Mahomes fan. But I live in Florida. So for me, it's go Bucks. Okay. Well, for me, me, me too. I, 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 hope, I hope they do well. Um, we've only got a minute or two left. I, I want to ask you a pro basketball question. I, I mean, I lived in Orlando forever and ever, and I love my magic. And they right. seem to have the hardest luck, you know, with injuries. And this year, it's, right. uh, you know, no different. What, what can the Magic do? I mean, I, I want them so badly to get back to the form they had. Well, here's the first thing that you need to understand. I think you have, in the, and I'm talking about the Magic, I think the Magic have one of the great basketball minds in Steve Clifford at the helm. Okay. He is so impressive. I've seen him in clinics. I've seen the way he talks about the game. And he, here's the other thing that's maybe set Steve Clifford apart from a lot of coaches. He's willing to listen. He, he, when you sit down with him, he, he's just as likely to, to ask you, um, tell me a, a out under play you like to run in the last two minutes against zone. Or tell me something that you've done in the, in the half court that's really gotten a quality look at a quality time. So, you know, uh, you, you, you hope that you can continue to upgrade the talent because that's what the NBA is about. He seems it to get the best out of him he can. But, uh, Mark, we, we could go on and on. And I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, no problem, I urge yes. everybody out there. You're, to ask, you're giving me an open forum to talk hoops. I mean, yeah. come on. Well, you've done a great job as always. We will definitely have you back. Want to remind everybody this is Meldon Law and Friends. We've got another great guest coming up, Rodney Long, a guy that Jeffrey and I have both known a long time, a community ad activist, spokesman. He's done so many great things here in Gainesville over his years. I knew him back when he worked in the music business, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we want to remind everybody also baseball is starting in wow. just a couple of weeks on the 19th <laughs> at that incredible stadium. Meldon Law will be involved in that. And uh, 
We'll be talking more about that next segment. Thanks for watching. We'll be right back. And I was in an accident. Someone ran red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Belden because you're going to need help, and they will help you. I've done mornings here on Sky Radio for 17 years. Jeffrey Meldon started doing his weekend show here 16 years ago. One of the things that separates Jeffrey is I don't see him out there hollering for people's business. I see him out there investing in the community. He's touched a lot of lives, and a lot of it he'll never know what a difference he made in somebody's life about information that he has shared on the air. Hello and welcome back to Meldon Law and Friends. Today is Friday, the 5th of February, 2021. My name is Chris Qualman. I'm here with Jeffrey Meldon, host, president, manager, founder of Meldon Law. And Jeffrey, we again have a tremendous guest to join us, somebody you and I have known a long time. Yeah, uh, Rodney Long is an old friend of both of ours. And it's really an honor to have you here, Rodney. Thank you very much for joining us. My honor, my it, it truly is. And, and Rodney, we could talk and list your accomplishments. It would probably take the whole program. <laughs> uh, you've worn so many hats. Uh, gosh, I met you 40 years ago. I was yes, thinking sir. about it back in the early 80s yep. when I was doing concerts at the University of Florida and you were involved in the music industry. But I'm just so amazed by all the things you've done. A community leader, a community activist, a businessman, a philanthropist, and uh it's been quite a ride for you. Yeah, well, when Gainesville is your home, you try to make sure you give back to the people and to the community that you love and you care so much for. Well, let's let's talk about some of the things you're doing. I, I was you know, looking you up on the internet and I saw that you've got the Long Foundation and you've just done so many philanthropic things, the things for the neighborhood, so let's talk about that. Well, I mean, the Long Foundation is something that I continued when I left uh, politics. Uh, when I was in politics, I cared a lot about issues that some people didn't care a whole lot about, homeless issues, poverty-related issues. So I got engaged and involved in that, and food insecurity was one of those most important things that were important to me. Uh, people going to bed every night, uh, children not having food, uh, our elderly population not having adequate meals daily. So uh, I wanted to find a way to make sure that we can try to deal with some food insecurity. Uh, so I started a food drive, and from that, we started collecting food. And since that started about 2008, we probably collected over a couple of million pounds of food that we've given out wow. throughout wow. this community over the, the last decade and a half. And, and and we do that every year. And we and I've continued when I left public office. So it's just one of those things that I believe in giving back to, as yeah. well as homeless issues. You know, I was out at the fairgrounds with you over the, uh, you know, around Thanksgiving mm -hmm. when we were giving out uh you know, school supplies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know after that, you, you were giving out uh, food as mm -hmm. well. And it was really, um, uh, you know, emotionally, you know, gratifying to just to see the community that showed up out there. It was everybody. And it wasn't just poor people. It was everybody who was in a time of need. And you were there, you know, providing for folks. When we were giving away the backpacks for school, mm -hmm. Everybody wanted uh, one of those backpacks and was showing up, and I thought it was great. Well, I mean, certainly we appreciate your participation and sponsorship mm -hmm. with, with that. But I think when you look at this past year, it's a very unusual year because we have a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were impacted. People who normally wouldn't come to food lines and people who normally wouldn't do those types sure. of things found themselves doing that. And it was, it was, it was grateful for us to be able to get partners to understand that this is a very unusual year and that we need to give back to the community, to people in needs, whether it's backpacks, whether it's food. And there are many partnerships that we formed through the pandemic to try to give back community relief, especially in the area of food. Uh, even today, as we're into this pandemic, we're still with those types of challenges and my foundation, we still try to make sure we give back in that regard as well. Yeah, I wanted to um, just for a few minutes talk about one of the great leaders of uh, the Gainesville community who passed recently, 
uh, Judge Stephan Mickle, and I know you were friends. Can you tell us a little bit about your memories of uh, being friends with uh, Judge Mickle? Well, I mean, it's an honor to certainly have been a friend of Judge Mickle. Uh, I mean, when you look at a person like Judge Mickle being a pioneer, I mean, being the first county judge, circuit judge, and federal judge, and those types of things, and the impact that he has on the community. And then when you look back and say, wow, a person was able to accomplish those things. And I come from a different generation than Judge Mickle, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm younger than Judge Mickle. But for a person like Judge Mickle and my good friends like Aaron Green and Charles Chestnut, sure. the people who mentored me as I was young coming up, to see the things that they do and the accomplishments that they've had and the impact that they've had on our community, it is awesome. I mean, losing Judge Mickle is losing a real pioneer in our community. And, and as we celebrate African-American History Month, certainly he's one of those leaders that come to the forefront for us. You know, there's here. talk about naming the uh, Criminal Justice Center um, after Judge Mickle. Um, our careers paralleled each other because in 1972, when he opened up his law practice in uh, Gainesville, I had just started practicing law. And we became really good friends in the beginning. We had a really good common friend, Michael uh, Bryant, who brought us together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were all, you know, kind of young lawyers <laughs> and we were all trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, but Stefan kind of <clears throat> held himself up. He was teaching at the law school right, right early on and stuff like that. And he was always, you know, somebody that I really admired. And then when he became county judge, and then, you know, he wound up being a circuit judge, appellate judge, a federal judge, and all that. I could always go into his chambers and sit down and talk with him about anything. Yeah, he was, a, he was one of those type individuals that didn't mind spending time with you and talking to you about pretty much anything. I mean, especially when you look at the challenges and the things that he went through to get where he got. I mean, he, he didn't get where he is without first being prepared. But there were a lot of challenges. And when you're the first mm -hmm. to do anything, especially in the area of law, it's even more challenging because being a black lawyer in the Lachua County was a challenge, but being a judge at county mm -hmm. circuit, anything was certainly was a challenge. You know, he was the uh, in the first class at the University mm -hmm. of Florida, the first African-American student. student. And I think in his some of the interviews he had uh, done uh, several years ago, he talked about, you know, that he was kind of, there was a wall of silence, you know, people didn't interact with him and he had mm -hmm. to go through that. And that was, even though he was a pioneer and he was doing that, there was, you know, some uh, tough roads for him. Well, when you look at the period of time we're talking about, I mean, sure. you're looking right after, you're looking at the 60s, you're looking at the mid 60s, and we, especially after 68, anything after 68, you're talking about crises, and 68 oh, yeah. probably the worst year probably for in American history because of all the different things that happened in 68 and going into the 70s. You got to remember, in Alachua County, we were just beginning integration at that particular point of time, and the integration wasn't voluntary. It was forced integration. It was right after the closing of Lincoln High School, which I always wanted to graduate from, didn't get the opportunity to graduate mm -hmm. from, but it was the, the peace and the bond in our community. And Stephen Mickle was one of those persons from Gainesville and being a Gainesvillian that people looked up to. And when you look at the cultural identity of the 70s and you fast forward to 2021, you ask yourself, am I in a time war? Because it's not a whole lot that's changed when you look at coming from the 70s up until 2021. You know, when I moved to Gainesville in 1970, um, I um, moved into a place that I uh, rented from Reverend Camps. I, I'm sure you know yeah. the Camps Camp. family, mm -hmm. right behind Paul's package, okay? <laughs> and I'm some guy from Cleveland, Ohio, okay? And I go to Paul's package, and it was like, all my neighbors were in the back part of it and all the rest of the folks were in the front part of it, right? And I was going, I'd never seen anything yeah. like that before. And that was 1970. And so there were still the vestiges of very strong segregation right here in Gainesville, sure. you know, well into the uh, 70s. Absolutely. And being a person who was raised and born here, and especially being, I was raised in Porter's. Okay, born, went to segregated schools all the way up until high school to integration mm -hmm. came along. So I got the opportunity to be able to experience going to Greyhound bus station or going to Woolworth or going to those places. And, hey, well, no, you can't try that on. We have to take it. You know, and I'm just I'm four, five, six years old, don't really understand. But I see. 
So yeah, but you look, you fast forward and you appreciate the accomplishments and the change that we've come through in Elantra County, but boy, do we have a lot of a long way to go. What are some of the priorities uh, you think as far as what we can do uh, in Alachua County that, you know, is really achievable in the next couple of years? Well, hopefully the education system would change now that you have a new leadership on the, on the education system because if our kids aren't educated and if they don't get the education that they need, they won't be successful. So education is probably the best. Then we got a tale of two cities economically. We still got an east-west divide. And until we deal with the economic injustice that we have in our community, we're never going to get where we need to be. Uh, everything still goes west. I mean, hardly anything goes east. Uh, we've had some good opportunities to have things in the east, but the people who are making the decisions seems that it's best that things go west. Until we start looking at our community holistically from that standpoint, we're going to still be caught up in these things 20, 30, 40 years from now. You're going to still have many of our African-American kids who go to school here at the University of Florida leave and go other places because they can't find jobs. So, I mean, we got to start looking at the, the, the injustices that we have. The criminal justice system. I mean, I can name any system we, we have, but we got to find ways that we got to try to find balance. And if we're going to be a society where we are a just society, and that's one of the reasons I founded the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission of Florida, because I believe in treating people equally. I believe in fairness, and I will fight for those things that are, that are unjust. And I've done that all my adult life. Now, speaking about education, I'm really excited about the new downtown campus for Santa Fe. Give <laughs> us some of your thoughts on that. Well, what people don't know is uh, when I was on the Gainesville City Commission in the early 80s, I was the one who pushed to get the downtown train station and give it to Santa Fe for a dollar when President Robinson was the president. And I wanted and the reason I did it was because I think we need to bring Santa Fe downtown. And we went through all the renovations of trying to work to it. Mm -hmm. I raised one hundred thousand dollars towards scholarships for Santa Fe back in those days. But see, these are things people don't understand and, and know. But these are things that I thought were important. And from that, Santa Fe has actually mushroomed and grown it's to incredible. become a real incredible piece of downtown Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to work out at the Gainesville gym, which is going to be right, part, part of the of campus, campus now, right? right? right. And for 25 years ago, they were talking about, yeah, Santa Fe's buying up all the property around here because eventually this is going to be, you know, the Santa Fe campus downtown. And now seeing the, you know, everything going up vertical is exciting, sure. right? Well, I took a lot of heat for that stuff back in those days because you got to remember, you're talking about bringing in a non-paying entity that's taking things off the tax roll. And then you got to understand the community that was around it at the time was African-American businesses. And once you got the footprint of Santa Fe, everything around it at some point in time was going to be consumed. Fast forward 40 years, it happened. Now, what are the <laughs> positive benefits of having a Santa Fe downtown. I think it has been nothing but positive for bringing Santa Fe downtown. And I look back at Gainesville Gas that used to be on the corner. Mm -hmm. I was the one to push for the city of Gainesville to acquire Gainesville Gas because it was a part of the contract that we had with them at the time. And we purchased Gainesville Gas. Very controversial decision, but it allowed us to expand gas in those areas of the community, especially in the African-American communities that did not have natural gas, that had kerosene and all those other dangerous ways of heating. But when you look at things back and say, wow, tough decisions made, but they were good decisions. They were. Well, I know you were very, very active. You were in the you know, city commission for three terms. I think you were mayor at mm -hmm. one time, the county commission a couple terms. And mm -hmm. you, know, you were you know, uh, very, very active. You still are very active in all the important community activities. Uh, how do you also do, you know, real estate and bail bonds and all that stuff at I, the same I, time? I have a suggestion because uh, my, my producer is not nodding to me. We're going to cover all that in the next segment. We, you, you know, I've known you for a long time. This is a man of many words, but a man of very wise words. I, I, I am so impressed by all you have done, Rodney. I'm so proud to call you my friend. And we will be right back. On Meldon Long Friends with Rodney Long, with Jeffrey Meldon. Today is Friday, the 5th of February, 2021. We'll be right back. The Meldon Law Firm from the beginning has been built on giving back to the community. I enjoy coming to work as much today as I did in 1971 when I opened my practice. I don't look at this as a job. I look at it as serving other people. While we're alive, what better feeling can you achieve than knowing that you've helped other people 
and thereby you enrich your own life. Being a client at Melden Law was special because I felt like I was really being listened to and I felt welcome by the entire staff. If I were in a situation where I needed legal advice and help, I would absolutely reach out to Jeffrey because his reputation alone speaks for itself. But on a personal level, I know that he would take care of me and help me solve those problems and I would feel safe with him. Hello and welcome back to Melden Law and Friends, a podcast brought to you by Melden Law, statewide law firm with its office, primary office in Gainesville, also with offices in South Florida and Marion County, Florida. Take a look at the World Wide Web website, www.meldenlaw.com. Learn a little bit more about our practice areas, which are primarily personal injury cases, car crashes, big truck cases, slip and fall, trip and fall, and criminal defense cases. Jeffrey Meldon, it's hard to believe this is now our 15th episode of Meldon Law and Friends, and uh, it's been quite a ride. Yeah, it, it's been uh, exceptional. Um, going into it, we had a little bit of radio experience. It was interesting sure. when Mark Wise was saying, <laughs> it's, if you can do radio, you can do TV. Uh, pretty right? much, okay. you know, so. But uh, I think our podcast has been um, so inspirational because of all the great guests that we've had. That's right, and uh, today is no exception. Our goal has been from the start, bring in community leaders, movers and shakers, people who make a difference. And we're gonna get right back to that, but I wanna remind everybody that we did announce another contest in our first two segments. Uh, we have tickets that we're giving away for this weekend's volleyball game. We've already given away tickets for tomorrow night's game, the Saturday game on the 6th against Missouri, but we now have four more tickets for the Sunday game against Missouri, and all you need to do is to go to the meldedlaw.com website. Very top of the front page, click, I want to enter the contest. We're giving away four tickets and also a gift certificate, right? Yes, we're giving away uh, four tickets for Saturday, four tickets for but Sunday. I, I think we may have already done the Saturday, I'm not sure, but whatever the case, enter the contest and you'll automatically be entered for the Sunday as well. Yeah, and. Uh, it's really important to uh, sign up at uh, meldenlaw.com because we are going to be giving away tickets for uh, the gymnastic events and Gator Baseball, uh, the number one team in the country, is coming, coming up in we'll about be, we'll, two we'll, weeks. We'll be man. doing that too. And, uh, you know, our, our guest Rodney Long has been around a long time. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the new baseball stadium, but it's incredible. I saw it when it was under construction. I haven't yeah, it's, it's incredible. I plan on going out there. Well, so. we're going to have to have yeah. you as our guest because yeah. Melden Law gets seats for the oh, game. Right. We do. Sounds and great. It's pretty cool. We are the only official law firm sponsor of the Florida Gators. Did I say that right? Not quite. <laughs> All right. The only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> I want to go back to our guest. Uh, Rodney, you and I first met way back in the early 80s. I was a law student at UF running the concert program, Student Government Productions. I don't remember the exact day you came in my office. Student but, Government Productions. But you came in my office one day and you introduced yourself and uh, you told me about this company you had called Music Express. You had Wayne Fields, legendary Gator football player. Bill Feinberg, who we know very well, Wild Bill, and the three of you uh, said, I can help you with your African-American shows, with everything you do, with yeah. R&B shows, and we did, and we had a great run. We yeah. worked together, and you were mentioning how this is African-American History Month, and we did, oh my gosh, we did Cool the Gang, we did the Commodores, and I, I was telling Jeffrey before the podcast, I said, I'd put Brody on there to do the stage <laughs> announcements, and you were great. Yeah. So what are your memories about that? Well, I, as a student at the University of Florida at the time, yeah. um, uh, and, and being in, in the, the, the mobile music yeah. and the, the radio station business, um, we wanted to try to make sure a couple of things. One, uh, we knew that Student Government Productions, and I wanted to become a part of that, eventually became a part of working with you all with that. I wanted to venture out and become more involved into the promotions and mm -hmm. to those types of things. So I wanted to learn, and you were one of the best in the business doing that, working with all the people. And anybody who knew that, knew Chris Qualman, they knew that... <laughs> You had a connection, so I wanted to, to, to do that. But the other thing was to try to make sure that we had programming that was actually balanced to the students and exactly. the community. And that's the part that I wanted to make sure, because I knew that we could help balance uh, the actual things that you all were doing sure. on campus when it came to entertainment in the community. And from the perspective of the business perspective, 
we can handle all the after parties, the stage announcements, and all those kinds of things. And you did it very did. well. Yeah. yeah, Chris told me you guys really got the crowd going. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, you got to remember back in that time, it was the beginning part of when mobile music came in, when rap was just beginning to come out, and DJing was something that people heard of but wasn't quite sure what it was, and we were the ones that were introducing it in, in the North Remember Central we Florida did uh, Grandmaster Flash and, and the, the Furious, Furious Five. <laughs> yep. we, that was one of my last shows, Grandmaster <laughs> Flash. We did them at the O'Connell Center, mm -hmm. and you guys were instrumental in that. You helped us sell tickets. You went out to the urban community. You, you got people excited about it, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But well, you're I right. Mean, that was the first, like, really rap show. We're just uh, beginning to come out. Sugar Hill Gang. I mean, all those guys, yeah. Mel and Mel, the Furious Five, and all those guys were just beginning to come yeah. out. But I think the one, the concerts that I liked the most were Lake Alice. We did. We And we did at the band show. We you did know, cameo. cameo. We did Cool, cool in the, the Gang for free you know, outdoors. Inside. I mean, I, I, those are the kinds of, I like those concerts. Cameo. Better. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I remember the, that show. We probably had 12,000, 15,000 people out it there. It was the real Lake Alice back in those times. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was something, and I, I really do credit you and uh, Wayne and Bill for really helping get the word out, you know, to the people in town and Black Student Union. Mm -hmm. You know, we got them involved, and it, those, that really was a special yeah. time. I think it was for you, too. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. And it actually, it, it allowed me to be able to venture out in other different types of things uh, going forward in my community. In, in you you my had work. a band. I latest creation whatever yeah. happened to that band they, well, you, you were managing them and they I were created, great yeah, they were, and they were, you were telling me about them chris you need to book my band latest creation and then i think we finally yeah did. we finally booked them uh they were a bunch of local people who were extremely talented and in, 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 uh -huh. in, in, with their craft and they were local but they didn't have guidance so i kind of put them all together and managed them and they, they, they didn't go to the level that I wanted them to go yeah. because you know how it is when you have, when you're dealing with musicians, you have to deal with egos and all those kinds no, of things. not at so. all. You don't know. This guy's worked in music too. He knows. So, so it, it didn't pan out the way I wanted to, mm -hmm. but it certainly gave them the opportunity to see what it's like to, to be able to play professional. Now, is your son getting involved in music? I think I saw something about that. Well, my youngest son, he goes around the country. He he writes. He does those types of things. He's a producer. He does his own things. He uh, he goes around the country entertaining. Uh, he has other groups that he managed. So uh, he, he he got it. You know, he, I used to drag him along, want him along when we were doing that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> he, you know, he, he ventured out to him. He's real good at it, too. Well, good. Glad to hear it. So let's go back to talking about some of the things Jeffrey brought up. I mean, you're a businessman. You know, you're certainly a community activist, and you're still doing so many things. You talked about the Martin Luther King Commission of Florida. My understanding is you're the founder of that, um, but you're, you're also in real estate. What do you see about the real estate market? I know your, your emphasis, as you said, is the east side development. Well, What are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I think from the real estate market, I mean, in order for the real estate market in the eastern part of the city to be able to be as profitable as, as it is anywhere else, you got to make sure that you have the things that people will, will come, the other amenities that people will come to the part of town. Uh, I don't necessarily focus on real estate in the eastern part of the city and okay. county. I focus on real estate across the state of sure. Florida. But my emphasis is trying to make sure that there is equity when it comes mm -hmm. to development in the eastern part of the city and the county. So you have to make sure that the elected officials and people like that understand that until you have the publics and the other different types exactly. of things that people want to have in the eastern part of the city. It's got to be more than just a big Walmart. You're not going to deal with <laughs> you're not going to be able to have housing. Right. So you're not going to be able to deal with all the other inequities that you have. I mean, for example, you got schools in the eastern part of the city and the county that don't have the the capacity, but in the western part of the county, you got too much capacity. So what are you looking at doing? Well, we look like we're getting back to go back to the 1970s of busing and rezoning and all those types of things to achieve racial equality because you don't have the types of things that people want to have when you buy a home. If I buy a home, I want to make sure I got good schools, I got good parks, I got these types of things, but if you don't have shopping that's a mile or two within where you live, then people aren't necessarily wanting to buy homes there. If I want to live in a country, I know what a country is. I, I got a question I want to ask you. We, we've had some other young African-American leaders on the show recently. We had uh, the Reverend Carl Anderson, I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. Natalia Bannister, the executive director mm -hmm. of the Pace Center for Girls. So it seems to us like there are some rising superstars coming up. 
Um, we had Lizzie Jenkins. She may not be a young person, but I she's know, somebody I who, know all them well. who was extraordinarily influential, just did a wonderful presentation on our show about the Real Rosewood Foundation. So it's got to be encouraging to you that mm -hmm. it seems like uh, across the board, there are a lot of strong African-American leaders. Well, there are. And, and, and you credit that to those who actually passed along what they learned over the years. Mm -hmm. You didn't keep it to yourself and you share with others. I am just blown away by the new millennium leaders. These leaders today, they're just, they take stuff and they run with it. And with the advent of technology and the internet and those types of things, you don't have to guide them much. They Google, they do this, and they, they become informative and they take the lead themselves in going out for whatever causes they believe in. And it reminds me of the 60s when you had the young people in the 60s, the SNCC and those individuals. The civil rights movement would have never been successful had it not been for the young people who were the bus riders, who were the people who didn't mind going to jail, who were doing the cities. And if you look at where we are today with the young mm -hmm. people, who the millennials particularly, the Black Lives Matters, the Dream Defenders, and individuals like that, you credit, wow, we got leaders coming up. And it makes you feel good that there are leaders who are willing to fight for causes. What are some of the concrete things uh, our listeners can do to help support uh, Eastside, uh, Gainesville, and, and the entire uh, you know black community in Gainesville? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, I think it's, it's, it's making sure that the elected officials and the people in the positions to make decisions understand the importance of investing equitably in all parts of your community, whether it's housing, whether it's commercial and those types of things. Uh, there was a time back in the years you couldn't run for office unless you said economic development. Mm. Now, those were buzzwords. Now, once you get in office, nobody knows what it means. So, I mean, you have to make sure that you understand that you hold people accountable. And the other thing is you got to make sure that when when you see things that are not right, things that are not just, you can't just be quiet. You got to speak up. You got to speak out. You cannot have all the ills placed in one part of your community. You can't have all the jails, the homeless shelters and all those types of things in a part of a community and then expect prosperity. It's not going to happen. So what you got to understand is you have to have balance when you start citing these types of institutions in communities. You can't have those types of things in one part of the community and think it's going to prosper. It's just not going to happen. Well, uh, Rodney, what are some other things? I, I have to tell our listeners that uh, I've done, you know, primarily personal injury recently, but for years and years I did uh, criminal defense. And Rodney was, you know, uh, a leader among bail bondsmen. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's how I knew Rodney. Rodney was our <laughs> bail bondsman, right? And, the go-to uh, guy. <laughs> so now that was, you, you must have some incredible stories about that. Yeah, there, there are some incredible stories that I'll take to my grave with about those <laughs> kind of problems. Probably <laughs> but, but you were the one that had to track people down. You were the bounty hunter kind of, right? Well, I mean, in, in today's industry, you can't, bail, bail bonds, hunters, or those types of individuals are illegal in the state of Florida. You can't do that. So you have to do it all. You have to write the bond. If a person yeah. skips bail, you got to go out and become the bounty hunter. Yeah. So, yeah, but there's smart ways you do stuff today. Technology and those types of things, cooperation with law enforcement. You, you don't have to do things the way they, that, you used to do things. So things in the is, old days, what was it? You talked to the family, the grandma, grandma. <laughs> no, what, what, what I, I can only imagine you probably had more than one conversation. <laughs> Jeffrey, go to the house, say, grandma, we got to get him back, please. Well, one thing, one thing about it, you know, if you offer the right price of money, you always get all yeah. the information. So listen, guys, uh, again, my, my producer's nodding to me. We've got to wrap up. It, Rodney, is there a website people can go to? I know you've got a personal website yep. where... To, you know, to address Jeffrey's question, where people want to learn more about what you're doing, about things that can be done to improve the community, where, where would you direct people? Well, I think from the Long Foundation standpoint, you know, you can go to my Facebook page, the Long Foundation, ML, the, the MLK, we got an MLK Foundation website. That's the MLK Commission of Florida? Yeah, MLK? MLK Commission of Florida. Okay. Uh, we, got, we got a website, we got those types of things. I, I don't try to promote my business. I always I try to promote my causes that I believe Got in it. because okay. people need me for business. They'll we'll, find we'll, me. We'll put up a graphic on there to tell <laughs> yeah. people. Thank you so much, Rodney. You've been terrific. We will definitely have this guy back. Uh, I love yeah. we, we could go on for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Again, you are watching or you have been watching Meldon Law and Friends, a service of Meldon Law, statewide firm, primary office in Gainesville, also covering the whole state, South Florida up through Marion County. 
Our primary practice areas are personal injury and criminal defense. Call us anytime, though, toll-free, 24-7 at 1-800-373-8000. No matter what your case is, this man's been doing it a long time, and we'll get you steered in the right direction. We'll be back next Friday, the 12th of February. Jeffrey, it's been quite a ride. Everything is uh, moving pretty fast. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Mine, too. Thank you so much for watching.